Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. Today, we're talking about vaginal discharge. Later, we're going to be joined by Dr. Anita Mietra, a gynaecologist who's better known as the Gyne Geek. She's also the author of Your No-Nonsense Guide to Down There Healthcare. So, vaginal discharge. Before we get into that, I feel like we need to just talk about vaginas off the bat. I feel like it's not a word that you say very often, especially when you're growing up. Like, what did you used to call your vagina when you were a kid? Yeah, I agree. I definitely don't say vagina um, (laughs) very much. We should get that off our chest, first of all. So (laughs) let's just say vagina a couple of times each. Vagina. 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 Also... Let listeners know, we do know the difference between vagina and vulvas because you know someone's going to come at us with that as well. So we don't, we, we're quite bad at both saying those words, both of us, but we know we should. <laughs> what did you used to say instead of vagina? When I was younger, uh, I used to say tinkle. Tinkle. Which is a bit weird. Yeah. It's very sweet. I like it. Mm. Inventive. Very um, sweet. Mm. What about you? Uh, I think my mum went for like a more traditional approach. We just called it mini, which is not <laughs> very exciting. It, yeah, that thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we we just called it mini. That was it. There are so many invent, inventive um, ways of describing it. Like there's like people say flower, people say like, I don't know, all sorts of like weird food. things. Yeah, rather than just actually saying what it is. Hmm. I do Awful. think though that... You know, you can joke around and call it different things, but it is important to know the proper words for it and not to be embarrassed about saying the proper words for it when you need to, i.e. like when you go to the doctors or something. Mm. Um, Because I know like a lot of women are so stressed about saying those words that it then stops you from actually looking after your body properly. I think um, although we did have like a weird little word for my vagina when I was younger, um, my mum's always just been like super upfront about things and like the need to go to get health checks mm. and to kind of not be embarrassed about things like that when you're, you know, because I don't know. Yeah, but then my mum does work in healthcare, so maybe she's <laughs> she's kind of banging her own drum there. You've had like um, priority boarding. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Rachel, this is like day in, day out. This it is. Women's health, vaginas, all of this kind of stuff is your life. It is. So I uh, primarily write about women's health for HuffPost. So I'm completely desensitised now. I can write about vaginas till the cows come home, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but I do think like as a society, we're getting a little bit better on the whole as well. I know that one of the things we've spoken about before 
before is how the internet has changed the way we talk about women's health and vaginas and vulvas. Like, obviously, the internet is a place that is ripe for spreading misinformation about women's health, but also you know, it's it's getting the conversation started. There are good sites alongside the bad. And then you've got the in-betweens. You've got, you've got the goops, which, um, you know, for better or worse, it has us talking, doesn't it? That's interesting that you class it as an in-between. Well, I have I like a very... That. I have a very love-hate relationship with goop. I know a lot of people, like, out and out just hate it. And I, I do totally get that. I think for me, oh God, I hope, I hope Gwen Penn isn't listening to this, but I think for <laughs> me, it's, it's kind of just entertainment. Like, I think as long as you go into, um, whether you're looking at the Goop site or the Goop Netflix show, as long as you don't take it seriously, then you take mm. it for what it is. And I personally don't think it damages me um, because, you know, things like the vaginal candle that they were selling, for example, if you missed it, that last year there was a candle that did the rounds that supposedly smelt like a vagina, but it was actually rose and cedar flavoured. So, like, those things are crazy because your vagina should not smell like a cedar candle. But you can just laugh at them. But then obviously there's the darker side of it as well. So there are obviously some huge names in the industry who hate Goop, um, one of them being Jen Gunter, who I interviewed last year. And um, one of the things that she said about not just Goop, but all of these companies who sell wellness products for vaginas and vulvas is that they peddle faux feminism. You know, on the one hand, you can think that somebody is selling you a vulva product and that's a really positive thing because they're talking about vulvas and you're like, woohoo, feminism empowering. But then when you actually put the brakes on and you analyse why they're selling you that product, you realise that it comes from a culture of shame and it's telling you there's something wrong with your body and actually it's the complete opposite thing. So there's just a lot to digest out there and I just think if you do consume that kind of content don't do it medically do it for do it for the giggles mm. in the same vein yeah there's like there's so much misinformation about vaginas and what you should be putting in them and not putting in them um but there is also just like such a lack of discussion around discharge like i mean i don't know i don't never heard a podcast about about discharge before so if there, if, there might be one out there but i've never come across it so i'm glad that we're talking about it today So we all know you as a gynae geek. Um, you've written a fantastic book, The Gynae Geek, Your No-Nonsense Guide to Down There Healthcare. Oh, thank you. Um, you must be pretty comfortable talking about vaginas. Has it always been that way? Um, I mean, yeah, it's what I do every day. But the thing is, I think as doctors, we get desensitised to talking about uh, body parts and mm. things that other people feel awkward. And to be honest with you, I can't really remember the day that I suddenly thought it was normal. But I think it's just like a gradual exposure. When you're at medical school, you start hearing these words every day in lectures and then you gradually start talking to patients. And yeah, it just kind of becomes normal. Mm. Do you think there's been like a change and do you think that like have you noticed a change in kind of like the media and people feeling a bit more comfortable talking about these things? Yeah I definitely have noticed a change but I think also when it comes to social media you can end up in a bit of an echo chamber um, because of the accounts that I follow and the kind of people who follow me so I feel like maybe I don't know in my 
circle, definitely, I think there's been a change. And mm. I noticed that my friends are all um, very keen to talk about these kind of things with me. But I do still think that we do have quite a lot of work to do. Um, and I do occasionally find myself in, myself in situations where people are really not cool with it. Like, I just remember a few months ago, I went to a CrossFit session and had really bad period pain. And at the end of the session, the coach said to me, um, how did you find that? And I said, oh my God, it was so amazing because before I started, I had a really bad period pain and now it's completely gone because the pain of the workout <laughs> is so much worse. And everyone was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's when I realized, okay, not everyone is cool with talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're getting a lot better at talking about vaginas and periods, maybe just about in some situations, but discharge is one of those things that we still don't talk about. Like, I can't imagine talking to my friends about it, which is ridiculous because there's no reason not to. So for all our listeners, can you explain, like, what is discharge from a really basic first point? What is it? Yeah, so discharge is a word that makes everyone cringe, I think. It's, <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of work to do when it comes to discharge. So essentially what it is, is it's kind of mucus um, that you find in uh, your vagina. It comes from the cervix, also from the walls of the vagina. Um, and most people will see it either um, in their underwear or on tissue when they um, wipe or on a pad or um, panty liner. It's what the body makes to actually protect ourselves, first of all. So it contains lots of protective compounds, so peptides, little proteins that we actually call natural antibiotics. They protect us from bacterial infections, from viruses. Um, and something I always like to shock people with is to say that if you didn't have discharge, you'd have a dusty vagina. Because <laughs> literally... It, <laughs> You know, it's true. It lubricates your uh, your vagina and your vulva. And it's not just for sex either. It's because the, it's, it's a tube. And if it wasn't there, it would rub together and you'd get kind of like chafing. Comfy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really essential. Um, it's also the reason why we exist. Um, because you need discharge to actually allow sperm to swim through the vagina, up through the cervix and to meet the egg. So it's got so many crucial roles that, you know, it's so important. And it's kind of one of these things that everyone thinks is a symptom, but actually I think it's so important for people to understand that it's completely normal, it's completely healthy and it's how your body works. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. Um, I've learned loads already. <laughs> Um, so it changes um, over, well, it changes over your menstrual cycle, is yeah, that right? Can absolutely. you tell us, like, why does that happen and kind of any, like, key points in the cycle? Yeah, so the menstrual cycle is the whole period or the whole amount of time, should I say, <laughs> to not confuse things, from the start of one period to the start of the next. So it's about a month. Um, on average, we say 28 days. And so throughout that time, your hormones are changing all the time. And it's the hormone changes that influence the character of the discharge and the amount that you produce. So after your period, often you can feel quite dry and irritated. Um, and I think a lot of people um, these days have noticed online are sort of saying, well, the reason you feel dry and irritated is because of using tampons, because I think there's a lot of fear mongering around tampons. But actually, you know, one of the reasons is because your hormone levels are very low at that point. Um, and so when they're low, you don't produce as much discharge. And so it can be quite thick and sticky. Um, and yeah, you can feel dry and you can feel itchy, irritated. And it's one of the commonest times to actually get thrush or bacterial vaginosis, which are um, two abnormal types of discharge that we'll probably talk about later. 
As you increase the amount of estrogen that you're producing, the amount of discharge will increase and it will become a um, little bit more silky, shall we say. <laughs> um, and around about the time that you ovulate, that's when the amount of discharge really increases. Um, and a lot of people call it egg white discharge. Um, and it's very thin, watery, really, really clear. Um, and then after that point in time, as you go towards your next period, again, it tends to sort of thicken up and can become darker, um, you know, white, even sometimes yellowy shades, greyish almost. All of these things can be completely normal. I think the egg white discharge is really interesting as well because I've noticed um, since a lot of people are quite keen to not take the pill these days um, or a lot of people are, for example, stopping it because they're thinking about trying to get pregnant, they get quite freaked out about this egg white discharge um, mm. because they're like, what is this? Because if you take the contraceptive pill, you won't get that egg white discharge because it happens from ovulation. Mm. So a lot of people who've maybe been on the pill for many, many years are suddenly like, what is this? Mm. It's completely normal. It's completely healthy. And it's a really positive sign that your body is working normally. Yeah, that's so interesting. On all those points about how the pill affects it and things, I've also heard from a lot of women who say they're using discharge to track their fertility or their ovulation. Is that something that works? What do you yeah, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, definitely. So it's it can be really helpful to let you know when the most likely time um that you're fertile is. So you can essentially look out for the egg white discharge as a sign that you are ovulating um, and that would be the time to sort of concentrate on having sex but then again timed intercourse isn't really proven to increase your chance of pregnancy because you can miss it um, and so if you're waiting for that discharge and then you start having sex you might have missed it so the idea is kind of using it to kind of like pinpoint when you're probably going to ovulate and then start having sex at least sort of a week before then if you really want to be optimizing your fertile window and making sure that that's what you're uh, if that's what you're aiming for but equally I wouldn't use that as a form of contraception mm -hmm. if you're trying not to get pregnant mm. fair enough mm -hmm. um so when should people worry about discharge yeah well I think that generally a lot of people worry about discharge in general so the most important thing is to get to know what's normal for you and be aware of those changes in the cycle but if you're getting bloodstain discharge when you're not having your period that is something to be aware of if your discharge is associated with really bad pain in your lower abdomen or you feel unwell then again that's something um, to see a doctor about um, if it's very itchy very irritating um, and if it has a foul smell as well then that they are all signs that this is something that needs a bit more attention. There are um, kits that are available um, in the pharmacy these days, which it's kind of a kit that you can use to see if it's thrush or bacterial vaginosis. But the thing is, you know, I just think that these things are really worth speaking to a healthcare professional one-on-one -on -one yeah. because you, you just want to make sure that you are treating the right thing. Yeah. Mm. And those problems that you mentioned, thrush and BV, what causes those? So thrush is a yeast infection. Um, it's caused by um, a special yeast called candida. And it's something that all women have in their vaginas at some point, um, often just in really small amounts. But sometimes the, the amount of thrush can really increase, the amount of um, candida, sorry, can increase in um, quantity and then take over. And then you get this kind of what everyone calls like cottage cheese mm. discharge. Um, it's 
really, really common. I don't think I really know anyone who's never had thrush in their life mm. before. It's particularly common um, in pregnancy and also can be more common in women who take the contraceptive pill because of the amount of estrogen. Um, now, it's often recurrent and in a small number of cases it can be associated with diabetes but in most people it's it's not it doesn't signify any kind of sinister um, underlying cause but it's definitely something that's very very irritating recurrence rush is a massive problem though and it really is something that's worth treating properly whether it's due to an underlying condition or not yeah that's so fascinating and like super important that we all know about it obviously I know another really interesting area that you study is vaginal microbiomes, which sounds super scientific and quite scary. So can you break it down for me? Like, what does that actually mean? What does it involve? Why is it important? Oh, I think the vaginal microbiome is very friendly. Oh, great. (laughs) So just as um, we've all heard that there's um, friendly bacteria in your gut, there's friendly bacteria in your vagina. And that specific kind of bacteria is called lactobacillus. And so... Women have lactobacillus in their vagina. Some people have pure lactobacillus. Some people have less. Some people don't have any at all. Um, But generally speaking, if you have a good amount of lactobacillus, it's associated with health states. So when you don't have lactobacillus, you tend to have more what we call anaerobic bacteria. And these are species that can um, cause irritating discharge and can cause um, a nasty smell and tends to be associated with what we call bacterial vaginosis. It's not always unhealthy. For some reason that we don't understand, some women do actually tolerate a bacterial vaginosis type uh, microbiome very well. But generally speaking in the population, lactobacillus is what we prefer. And we see that having lots of lactobacillus is associated with um, a lower risk of having a premature baby, um, of getting cervical cancer. Um, And so lots of different health outcomes related um, to the microbiome and, and actually lots of exciting research going on looking at the links between endometriosis, Um, and different gynecological cancers such as ovarian cancer. So it's a really exciting um, area of research that's going on at the moment. Yeah, it sounds it. There's just so much in that area to learn about and it's kind of mad that we don't learn about it in school or anything. But something we don't learn about this, you know, the proper scientific words for these things and yet we are bombarded by the pseudoscience for what we should supposedly do to our vaginas and vulvas and thinking things like, vaginal steaming and douching (laughs) and all those things. Um, They've kind of been debunked a lot, but I wondered if you could go over firstly why they're not so great and secondly, what should we be doing instead to ensure that we are keeping our vaginas and vulvas healthy? So a lot of it does actually um, relate to the vaginal microbiome. So, for example, if you use feminine hygiene washes and douches and wipes, they actually wash away the lactobacillus because lactobacillus, although it's meant to be in the vagina, doesn't cling on very strongly to the cells there, whereas other bacteria, such as the anaerobes that I mentioned earlier, are actually really good and they can kind of build this like scaffolding called a biofilm onto the vagina. And so if you... A lot of people tell me that they want to use washes because they feel quite irritated or they feel like there's a smell. But actually, it's a vicious cycle because if there is any lactobacillus there that you really want to grow, it washes it away and then just more and more unhealthy bacteria will grow. So that's why it's quite problematic. And often women are quite reluctant to stop using these washes when I tell them to. 
But actually, when they do, they're like, wow, it did actually work. Because mm. I think we're always taught if something smells that we should wash it more. Uh, but that's definitely not the case for the vagina. You really don't need to wash inside your vagina and you only you need to use water on the vulva. It won't, uh, it won't cause you any harm not to use soap. And actually, some people find just even really mild soap can cause a lot of irritation because we're washing away this healthy bacteria. It's mm, great to know. And cheap. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> London's finest. Yeah, why so not? Much. But that's also why we don't need to use things like um, eggs and uh, all sorts of other weird and wonderful things that, you know, various celebrities may have told us to put into our vaginas. And I've just seen this huge like wellness thing opening up when it comes to vaginas and I've seen some really scary things out there like I saw an advert a few months ago for um, gummy bears that apparently change the taste of your vagina yeah I remember them and I think that all of these products that are coming out whether they are you know washes or vitamins or you know whatever like even i've seen sheet masks for vulvas yes you've got, I got sent, sent one yeah please don't use it, it. Was so strange no, straight <laughs> in the bin and retweet first good and then in the bin i think a lot of these products are fake female empowerment because mm. they are basically using a woman as a consumer making them feel self-conscious unnecessarily about their body and telling them that their vagina isn't good enough, it's not clean enough, it's not healthy enough if they're not using all of these products. It's quite scary, really. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, none of them are um, backed up by any science. Sure, you, um, you need a healthy pH in your vagina, and that's what a lot of them will tell you on the packaging. But actually using these products is not going to improve the pH. Leaving it alone, letting the good bacteria grow, do its thing, that's what maintains a healthy pH. Well said. Um, I wanted to ask uh, as well, talking about discharge, why is there such a taboo around it? I think that uh, it's something that people always see as kind of like a dirty thing almost. Um, I think there's also a bit of confusion about what it is and why we have it. So hopefully we've managed to clear a little bit of that up mm. today. Um, but also, I, I just think that a lot of people are concerned that they've done something wrong in terms of like um, having too much sex or, you know, having sex with the wrong person or whatever. I think that, that there's often mm. a lot of connection between the way that the female body works and sex because of the fact that, well, in textbooks, it's often called the female sexual reproductive mm. tract or the female sexual organs. It's always got the word sex or reproduction linked mm. to it. But most of us aren't really using our uh, genitals for sex or reproduction most of the time. So the first memory I have of discharge is I was on a holiday and I was just wiping my pants and I asked my mum about it and she probably told me that it was thrush um, and then went out and got me some medication for it, um, which is just bizarre. Um, and, you know, she's not, she wasn't like she was, you know, particularly you know, anti-sex education. Like she showed, us, showed me a tampon when I was like five and, you know, really, really tried to make us aware. But I just tell you, I'm not in, I don't think she thought you'd get it that young. I must have been about 12 because anyway, my sister got it a few years later and it was absolutely fine. So who knows? Clearly, though, there needs to be more education around this. 
So that was a submission we had from one of our listeners. Obviously, to recap, she had discharged for the first time. Her mum maybe didn't exactly know how to tackle it. So for any parents who are listening, how should they go about talking about discharge with their kids so that nobody is embarrassed or uncomfortable? Well, I think that, you know, when you're when you become a parent, you're suddenly expected to know all these things, aren't you? Mm. And I think that that's one of the problems that women don't understand. And that's not their fault. Because if you've never been told something, if you've never, if someone's never taught you, then how do you know? So that's why I think it's really important to spread the word about discharge to women of all ages so that they can educate um, people in their family, their friends and everyone around them. Um, but I think the main thing is just to emphasise that it is normal and often girls will start to see it before they start their period. So it can be a sign that, um, you know, they are um, entering puberty and that periods may be starting. Uh, so it also could be a good cue to start talking about periods as well if that's something that you haven't addressed. Um, but then I think just to tell them that, you know, it's a reassuring sign, but also that let them know the things that might be um, concerning. So if it's itchy, if it's irritating, if it smells or if there's blood associated with it. That's really interesting. It made me think, actually, when I just when we just listened to that, that um, I started my periods quite young, um, and but well, I spoke to my mum about it like recently, and kind of said like, "Oh, did you kind of were you surprised because I was so young?" And she said that she'd noticed she kind of expected it. I think because she'd noticed discharge or something mm. in my knickers. Mm. You, is that? Is that the case? Would that be... Yeah, absolutely, because what's happening is that you suddenly start producing much more um, oestrogen and, and mm. all hormones that you need um, for a menstrual cycle. And so that's why the body starts to produce um, discharge. It's it, You can't really predict and say, right, so today you've had discharge, so in three months you're going to have yeah. it. It's not quite that easy, but yeah, it's definitely a sign that things are starting mm. to happen. Yeah, and at the other end, kind of when we're going into menopause, does it then change again? Yeah, definitely. So I think that I think one of the symptoms that everybody associates with the menopause is vaginal dryness. Um, and there are many, many other um, symptoms associated. But the reason why you tend to get more vaginal dryness with the menopause is that you do produce less estrogen. And again, that's one of the controllers of the amount of discharge um, that you're producing. And you're also not going to be um, ovulating, so you're not getting that egg white discharge. So it just tends to be um, much drier and, and irritable irritating as well but there are things that people can do about that as well um, so if you are going through the menopause don't feel that it's something that you need to put up with you can have um, vaginal lubricants moisturizers vaginal estrogen creams um, or even hrt there's lots of different options out there so do discuss it with your gp and, and don't feel it's just one of those inevitable things that women have to put up with um so we ask every guest on this podcast the same question. Um, what makes you uncomfortable? I think willies. <laughs> it's just like, I know that sounds really bad because I'm a gynecologist and I look at vaginas all day and I basically spend my whole life trying to tell people that it's okay to be comfortable with vaginas. But I think it's just what you're used to, isn't it? And I'm not used to seeing willies. What is it about them? <laughs> and I just, it makes me feel uncomfortable. So I do really empathise with people who find vaginas uncomfortable because, you know, hands up, there's things that make me feel uncomfortable too. <laughs> Probably best you're a gynaecologist then. Yeah. <laughs> you know Someone actually once asked me, why did you become a gynaecologist? And I said, well, aside from many uh, sensible reasons, just because I, I don't really want to work with willies. <laughs> Great. Each to their own. I know, I love it. 
that's so good. Does that sound bad? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for coming here to answer all of our uncomfortable vaginal questions. That's a pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. And I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And our hashtag is AIMYU. gosh I didn't even get to tell you my favorite fact about myself that my surname is the Greek word for uterus (laughs) (laughs) so good hi I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.